Just a moment, folks. We are here. Hello, and welcome <laughs> to the For We Are Many podcast. I apologize for that awkward <laughs> silence. Um, I was trying to share it to groups, uh, which, by the way, if you're joining us, feel free to, um, you know, like the video, say hi in the comments, um, like the page if you haven't already. But above all, share the stream so that way more people see it. Um, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. I'm actually going to go back to the uh, overlay for a minute with some background music and give everybody a chance to get settled in so I can finish sharing. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. And yeah, James, it wouldn't be us without an awkward intro of some kind. <laughs> this is so true this is so true it's what we do in my head i had more time than i did and then i shared it to like six groups and the theme song was ending and i'm like shit <laughs> scrambling yeah is what it is um so tonight we're gonna talk about uh a few things i guess to uh sum up we're going to be talking about the kim potter trial uh we're going to be talking about this weird frankly piece that vox did about the murder of fred hampton overall the piece is pretty good but they got some like key details very wrong very and it's um, like you were so close you were so close and you still missed it <laughs> so yeah, they even they even went on to talk about the 10-point platform of the Black Panther Party immediately after calling them democratic socialists like Right, and it's like, now here, read some communism. Which <laughs> I I mean, the only part of that term that would even remotely apply is the socialist part, not socialist democrats because they were not democrats. Um anyway, We'll get to that. You'll get to yeah, see. Yeah, they were they were not asking the capitalist powers for permission to implement their ten point platform. No, no, and that's what dem or socialist dems do, and to some degree, dem socialists as well. A lot of people don't realize those are even two different things. Um, yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, it's kind of hair splitting to, to like you know really try to sum that up but yes they are two different things um all right if everybody could give us about another minute for me to go back to share the rest of these uh just sit and enjoy the tunes for a second thank you thank you <laughs> oh oh shit turn the tunes on and then immediately turn them back good job bro there we go. Hi, Emily. <laughs> Can I show the chat overlay while the overlay is up? No. No, that's too bad. Yeah, it is. All right. Um, at any point, but anyway. Right. I will be right back. Though. I will be right here.
Josh. Hi, John. Welcome, comrades. John, it's some totally random stuff that just happens to not be copywritten, so we can actually use it. <laughs> You killed the music too, though. I'm playing on my phone so that way I don't have to share the screen the whole time. There we go. Okay. Okay. So, how's everybody doing? Has everybody had a good week? They don't want to hear about my week. You've heard all about my week. <laughs> It's this better is true. Now. This is true. Uh, nice <laughs> to see you, John and Josh. Um, I assume it's probably Natalie on the For We Are Many page. Um, yeah. Hi, Natalie. Yes. Happy <laughs> birthday, Rob. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. As you see, I'm not in my own house. That's because it was my birthday yesterday. And it's actually kind of nice to like need to wear warm clothes inside. I'm not used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, it's actually quite chilly here, but I'm not even wearing warm clothes inside. Why? Because the heat's kicked way up. Fair. This, uh, <laughs> this little uh, home office in this uh, cabin is like on the ground level. It's, kind of, it's like a three-level house, but it's like there's a half a story here and then there's a half a story over there, and then the upper story is over this part, if that makes sense. Oh, so no. it's almost like a basement, so it's kind of cold down. It's a tri-level. A tri-level cabin. Yeah. It's it's not, like, it... The footprint of the house is not very big, but, like, I'm pretty sure there's more livable space in this house than there is in my house. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Gotta love it. But how's the kitchen? That is the real question. It has an island. Nice. Yeah. Classy. So what are we going to start with? Are we just going to jump right into the Fred Hampton thing? We might as well. We were already starting. Talking shit about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. It's one of those things of like, holy shit, Fox even covered this. But there's also the... Why did you have to miss the target by so far? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like I watched most of this 18 minute video earlier today 
And to be honest, and also I didn't notice it until December 4th um, because somebody called it out on Twitter, but it was published back in June. And um, the, the piece is called Why the U.S. Government Murdered Fred Hampton. And the story is pretty solid, except for, you know, like a few key details, <laughs> um, calling them social Democrats, um, saying that they based their organization off of Canada. Um, right. It, it, like you were saying the other day, when was Mao Chinese or when was Mao Canadian, not Chinese, you know, <laughs> right. like. Um, wait a fucking minute here, because Mao is where they got their inspiration for most of that. Um, it's a Marxist Leninist line, not Canadian. Right, uh, James. No, I did not eat cake. I'm not really a big fan of cake. Although uh, at this like vegan food market that we went to like a month ago, there's some dessert places there. So I've, I've come to realize that I actually like gluten-free cake better than regular cake because it's not dry. Nice. <laughs> Gotta have a moist cake. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, anyway, let me... <laughs> I'll just shut up and screen share this thing. Um, but it's it's overall a pretty good piece. And I'm going to play the first like, three minutes of it or so, uh, so that way you can get an idea what I'm talking talking about but i'm going to pause it right after the part of the question and kind of dissect december 4th 1969 we do Akua not own this content was 19 years old and sleeping next to her fiance the illinois purposes. black panther party chairman fred hampton the next thing i remember was someone in our room shaking chairman fred chairman chairman wake up wake up plaster was flying off the ball you could smell the cordite from the gunshot if you've ever been under gunfire, five minutes is five hours. To you, it seems like forever. The shooting started back again. Then another voice unfamiliar to me said, he's good and dead now. I knew they were talking about Chairman Fred. Fred Hampton was murdered by his government. But before that, he was a leader in a movement practicing a new kind of activism. A movement targeted because of its power to unite people. Marking 1964 as a historic year in race relations, on July 2nd, President Johnson signed into law the Civil Rights Act. It was the strongest in the 1960s, racial progress in the U.S. was at a turning point. Activists won major civil rights victories, and the era of Jim Crow laws came to an end. But at the end of the decade, there were still deep social and economic gaps for Black people across the country. Black Americans continued to face high poverty, poor housing, and unemployment and they still had little to no political representation. These disparities and an increase in brutal police violence led to uprisings across the country. Many young Black activists grew frustrated that the changes they'd hoped for hadn't come. It's just the opposite of being a white man. That's about the best I can abbreviate that budget. After the police killing of an unarmed Black teen in San Francisco, 
two activists in Oakland, California, Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton, founded what was initially called the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. I'm going to pause right here to interject that uh, we have a whole series of videos um, pertaining to Bobby Seale's book, Seize the Time, the Story of the Black Panther Party. Um, and uh, now we're into Eldridge Cleaver's book, Soul on Ice, and we're going to continue um, down this panther trajectory for the, for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, Huey P. Newton wrote a couple books, uh, Revolutionary Suicide being the first one that I want to check out. Um, anyway, I'll shut up. Back to the video. Newton had studied law and knew it was legal to carry arms in California as long as they were not concealed. The Panthers began to patrol their communities. As the movement grew, several highly publicized confrontations with police would bring about mainstream awareness of the Black Panther Party. The allegations in these confrontations were serious, but the public accounts of them were typically one-sided and shaped largely by police. Media coverage depicted... Almost forgot to unmute my mic. Um, I just also want to point out that this continues today, not just with the Black Panthers, but with even the Black Lives Matter organizations. The narratives that the media push against the protesters nine times out of ten is from the perspective of the cops. That has yep. not changed since the murder of Fred Hampton. Nope, not a bit. Oh, I'd also like to point out before you hit play again, that where that was saying basically, oh, they, they stormed this building. No, they exercised their legal right to go in, I believe it was a court building. No, it was um, the state capitol. Or the state capitol building. Um, and actually address issues they were not being heard about. And they checked first to see like where on those grounds they legally open carry. So that right there is a prime example that you'll find out if you check out that series we did on. Um, Seize the Time goes really into depth on what went down that day. Yep. Explicit detail. And they were well within their rights. They didn't storm anything, you know. But that's no, the they calmly they walked in there and were like, hey, <laughs> this is what we're pissed about fucking do right. something right. um and what and what they were protesting was then california governor um ronald reagan some of you may know that name some some of may some of you may think that he's probably burning in hell and you're probably correct if hell exists but <laughs> anyway um they were they were working on passing legislation to ban open carry of firearms because of the Black Panther Party. Right. They were totally fucking cool with having open carry for who knows how many fucking years until they saw black men doing it. Yeah. And they went, oh, fuck. We can't have this. What the shit? And it just shows right there how deeply rooted racism is in the fucking system itself that all of a sudden they've got a problem with it when it's not just white people marching around 
openly carrying. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like if we look at how Democrats reacted to Republicans storming the Michigan Capitol, which I'm not advocating for that because what the fuck were they there for? I'm just saying that their methods weren't wrong. Their approach was. Yep. Their cause was the cause for concern, not what they did. And I do understand that some lawmakers may have felt intimidated, but they weren't breaking any laws by doing it either. Um, Right. Anyway, back to the video. Did party members as a caricature of black militancy. The Black Panther Party was portrayed as a marauding gang. They say their goal was to kill all the white people. In reality, the Panthers did call for radical change. What they were hoping for was a revolution, a revolution to overthrow the capitalist enterprise. But what they called revolution might not actually sound so radical today focused on socialism as a way of solving economic means. They looked to places like Canada, which always had a democratic political system, but the economic system has always been socialism. So they want a democratic socialist country here in the United States, which they saw as a more equitable, more humane system. They were- And then notice that the next thing they show is the 10-point <laughs> platform, which we will go into, but... Let me read you number one. We want freedom. We want power to determine the destiny of our black community. So when they're talking about that power, they're not talking about forming a political party to get involved with bourgeois electoral politics and basically asking the capitalists for some small concessions. They're talking about fundamentally changing the system that we operate under. Right. We're talking about Marxist-Leninism with a Maoist influence. We're not talking about Canada's social democracy. Nope. That was a point of self-determination right there. It's foundational to Marxist-Leninist ideal, to Maoist ideal that owning the means of your own production, owning the value of your labor is a point of self-determination. And that's what number one is getting straight to. I mean, to quote Angela Davis, we talk about freedom a hell of a lot in this country, but we're not talking about like freedom to leave a job that we don't want or freedom to be Uh, freedom from medical debt. We're talking about freedom to starve or freedom to be homeless. Right. That. So, yeah. Um, Once we acknowledge that capitalism is inherently exploitative, then I don't think, and I'm not trying to say that no leftist believes that change can come through electoral politics, but I think that it's safe to say that any iteration of the Black Panther Party did not believe in electoral politics. It's not what they were about. They were trying to build a better system outside of the capitalist structure. 
They were not trying to, you know, as I said, politely ask um, capitalist powers for, you know, more food or whatever. Mm, Anyway. (laughs) Yes, Wade. Free to beat oppressed people over the head with bootstraps. Right. released a 10-point plan for broad social reform that called for an end to police. Whoa. Social reform? So now they were reformists? Nah, they were revolutionaries. Brutality and for black employment, housing, education, and freedom from prison and jails. Chapters began forming across the country. They started to implement social programs, which they called survival programs. The Panthers would say, put that theory into practice. If you really want to change minds, and you really want to meet the people where they are, you have to give them the services which they need. The programs included food and clothing drives, free health clinics, and sickle cell disease testing, and were funded largely by volunteers and donations from businesses. One of their biggest programs was a free breakfast for children initiative. Here we are living in 1966-67. is the most wealthy nation in the world. And kids were going to school hungry, especially in African-American communities. So one of the first community service programs were free breakfast for school children. And all the children had to do was come. It was during this time that Akua and Jerry, then known as Deborah Johnson, met Fred Hannon. I was a student at Wright City College, and Chairman Fred had come up to the school to speak. And he said, in the breakfast program, we're feeding over 3,000 children a week. We're serious about making power to the people of reality. We're not just sitting up here jaw-jabbing and talking shit, you know. we about work. And I said, damn, we're serious about this business. Fred Hampton grew up in Maywood, So I'm Illinois, not going to go too much into West- the, the story of Fred Hampton. Uh, which is more or less what the rest of it is. And I'm not going to go too much into the assassination because I would rather invite you guys to all uh, join us when we watch Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it's a it's a patron exclusive for the most part, but if you are not able to afford it, message us and we will give you a pass. Um, but... It, they talk a lot about the betrayal of Fred Hampton in the movie, but they don't really talk a lot about, you know, what he was doing. And we kind of want to try to add that context um, and, you know, fill in other gaps, at least where our knowledge allows us to uh, as we watch the movie. So um, I really hope that turnout's pretty decent for that. That is uh, what day of the week is the 10th? Is that Friday? I think so. Yes. Friday night at the usual 8 Eastern, um, 7 Central, 6 Mountain Standard, 5 Pacific. I think I covered the whole country there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, besides Hawaii and Alaska. But anyway, um, point being, if you would like to come, but you can't afford to, you know, join the uh the patreon which i mean we have a dollar a month plan it's not that expensive but if you legit cannot afford it message us and we'll get you in anyway um 
I think the conversation's too important to really have behind a paywall. On the other hand, we are trying to cover business expenses here, and that's why it's half-assed behind a paywall. <laughs> um, trying to do something fun for our patrons too, because they, you know, those of you who are amongst that, you've been with us for a long time for the most part, you know, and and we did get behind for a little bit when it came to the extra perks that we've been trying to put together for our patrons, you know, so it's still definitely a solid thank you there for that. Um, you know, like every bit helps. It really does. Um, but I guess while we're on the topic of pantherism, um, there is, modern iterations of the black panther party uh wade we have four different tiers well minus the the troll tiers you know like jeff bezos for a million dollars a month or what, <laughs> what the fuck ever um and elon musk for like ten thousand dollars a month or whatever but we have a one dollar a three dollar a five dollar and a ten dollar uh, per month tier um so, yeah, I mean, we, we originally had three, five and 10 and it was just like, well, I mean, I know a $1 donation is going to be mostly symbolic, but like, at least it's something, <laughs> you know, like a dollar adds up if a hundred people do it. Right. Um, anyway, <laughs> back to what I was saying, while we're on the topic of pantherism, um, there are still iterations of the black panther party that are active today there is the new african black panther party the revolutionary intercommunalist black panther party which primarily operates outside uh, out of prisons um or inside of prisons is really how i should have word worded that but <laughs> whatever um you know what you meant. there is the white panther party the brown berets there is the uh young lords the, the New Age Young Lords actually are involved in the Second Rainbow Coalition. So I don't think that we could have talked about Fred Hampton and not brought up that her, his work is still being carried out today. Right. Um, obviously, like, membership to the Panther parties themselves is pretty closely guarded because there's been a lot of infiltration. I mean, for the love of God, that's how... Uh, Fred Hampton got murdered. But um, that being said, there is the United Panther movement, which is under the direction of the Black Panther Party, but yeah. it's the mass organization. Anybody can join. Anybody can show up and work a, a free breakfast program or a free health clinic. Um, and I think that I think that work is important, damn it. And um, Anytime that I have an opportunity to plug what the Panthers are doing, specifically this past week in, in Chicago, they've been out on the streets in Chicago every day. They've been giving food to the homeless. Um, they've been giving, well, actually, they've been giving food and hygiene packages to the homeless. They've been giving food to everybody. Um, you know, the food for the uh, the food for the people program, unsurprisingly, resonates with people when they don't have the money to buy their food. Right. Um, it's a necessity. Right. So 
Well, hello, Rev. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of revolution, spirits are free leader. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. Um, Hoover called the Black Panther Party the number one threat to the in uh, internal security of the United States, and it was FBI propaganda to allow murder. Um, yes, and that's why they had the justification to infiltrate the Black Panther Party, and 90% of what they said wasn't even true. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. What was the second topic? Goodness, I'm going to have to pull up the group chat. Yeah, that's what I'm just doing. <laughs> um, um, okay, so the Starbucks union, that's the next thing. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say solidarity with any fucking workers that are trying to unionize. And I mean, if you want to call it sticking it to the man, you can do that. But... I mean, really, we need to be paid enough to live if we want to be able to have the time to do anything. And that's kind of what they're relying on right now, I think, is keeping us work working two or three jobs so we don't have the time or the energy to organize in our communities. Um, so some takeaways from this fight for a union in Starbucks. Three stores in Buffalo, New York on October 28th, filed with the National Labor Relations Board. Um, the vote is Thursday, so the day after tomorrow. Um, I mean, if you go to Starbucks when you're driving through the drive through ask them, are you part of this unionization initiative? Well, you should be. They're fighting for better wages. They're fighting for better, better benefits. And they're going to win. So I may have had some uh, critiques of Bernie Sanders over the last few months because I feel like he's been capitulating to Joe Biden rather than listening to the people that, you know, supported his campaign. Which is um, But he hosted a town hall on the Starbucks unionization drive with a bunch of, you know, union reps and workers at Starbucks and Honestly, that's probably the most class conscious thing he's done since 20 fucking 16. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying it there, but I think that that really helped like put a spotlight right on it. You know, Starbucks can't like just call up their buddies and be like, please don't talk about it. If you've got tens of thousands of people tuning into a fucking Bernie Sanders live stream talking about it. Right. That's something that it's like, okay, Bernie, can you keep doing this? Come on, Bernie, just keep finding out where these events are going on. Everybody who is on strike right now, because there's a lot, and make a tour, a fucking strike tour, and force the media to acknowledge the existence of these strikes and actually address the shit. Because this fucking corporate exploitation of everybody is precisely why we're having all of the issues that we're having right now. Whether it be shortage of supplies because they're still sitting on ships out at sea. Or, you know, um, the the dock workers right there. The, the truck drivers 
who ship all of that stuff. Um, service industry, there's places everywhere that are on strike right now. Medical, you fucking name it, people are going on strike. This is turning into a general strike. They can't keep ignoring this. Right. And I mean, speaking of, <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of Starbucks, there was some locations that um, did wildcat strikes without being part of a union on Black Friday. Yep. So, I, I mean, we talked about that in last week's stream, but we didn't have that much information on it. Um, but that's kind of the nature of a wildcat strike. And that's why we need worker fucking media. Um. So I guess for those of us that are, or for those of you that are listening to us, rather, um, you know, if you know anybody who is trying to organize their workplace, um, I mean, you know, we can interview them anonymously. They can wear a mask or use a voice changer. I don't fucking care. Um, you know, or if it's places that have already voted, um, you know, places or, or like, you know, maybe people that were involved in a wildcat strike uh, for Black Friday, for example. But the point is, is that we want to put a spotlight on these things. It's happening all over the nation spontaneously. Hmm. Um, and we need to be in solidarity with it. I mean, you're not striking. Okay, well, you know, let's say you live in Omaha. Swing by the fucking picket line at Kellogg's. Which, by the way, Kellogg's announced that they are going to be hiring permanent replacements for the striking workers that turned down a 3% wa uh, wage increase, which is less than half of inflation. Fuck you, Kellogg's. Um, so this is actually really cool. I just uh, looked back at the comments and Wade said, so I'm thinking I'm going to offer up to $10 for five people to sub your Patreon. That is fucking awesome. Honestly. Um, Bernie was also in support of the Amazon strike. This is very true. Um, he talked about the Amazon unionization drive uh when nobody was nobody in mainstream media nobody in congress nobody was talking about the amazon union vote in bessemer alabama except for bernie um three percent of how much honestly james i'm not sure how much that they're how much they're making but the point is, is that anything less than a 6% wage increase this year alone is a pay cut. Right, because that's how much inflation has uh, shifted the value of the dollar. So that 3% wage increase is only half what's even needed to keep pace, let alone to actually get ahead. Um, and it's still a fraction, tiny fraction of the value they're actually producing there. Um, I just dropped the Patreon link in the chat um, for anybody who is interested in subscribing. Um, as I said, Wade uh, offered to cover up to five people. Well, probably four other than himself, I would presume. Um, That's awesome. Up to, up to a $10 Wade. subscription. So if you are friends with Wade Tate on Facebook and you would like to be um, a patron to our channel, hit him up. 
I mean, honestly, that, like I said, that's awesome. Like, thank you. Very awesome. Thank you, Wade. Um, so anyway, back to Starbucks, I kind of went on a little bit of a class consciousness rant there, which ultimately that's why I like to talk about strikes is because I get to go on class consciousness rants, but anyway, um, Starbucks Corporation keeps losing its appeals and it even tried to block mail-in ballots. Sounds like fucking Trump, don't it? Right. Um, so the mail-in ballots were mailed the 10th and due back tomorrow. So, I mean, you know, we, we know that this time of year, the Postal Service um, is backed up. Shit, it's the holiday season. We know every year that the Postal Service gets backed up. Um, right. So, you know, luck. that's less than 30 days from the time that they were mailed out to the time that they're supposed to be back. Like, that's not a strain when they're already trying to handle everybody's holiday cards and gifts they're sending and all that shit. To, like, come on now. Right. Come on now. That should have been sent um, out sooner. They wanted to block individual store votes, which the way this is working is each, each individual store is voting whether their location will unionize. And what Starbucks Corporation wanted to do was at regional votes. Um. That, that was denied because what the fuck? That's not how this works. Right. Um, but basically, if any of the three stores that are voting vote to unionize, it forces Starbucks to bargain collectively. Um, they want demands based on location, but generally adequate labor pay and benefits, seniority pay, credit card tips, and to be able to hold Slow down. I actually think Facebook froze on me. I'm reading this out of the group chat. <laughs> there we go. Hold on. I scrolled down too far now. Nah. <laughs> um, and to be able to hold. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, and to be able to hold management accountable. Um, <coughs> they actually lowered pay. Once stores reopened after the COVID shutdown. Um, That's insulting. So there was originally three stores voting to unionize. Now three more New York stores and one in Arizona. I'm going to have to find out where it's at because Thursday I might just have to like make a drive down there and be like. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Why not? Right. Um I mean, to be honest, though, it's probably somewhere like Flagstaff. It's probably not even in the valley. Uh, the valley might have some pockets of blue, but the valley is a lot more reactionary than you would think, unless you're in, you know, impoverished areas in Phoenix. Oh, Wade said five people, six with him, and... You don't have to regret that you can't do more. I mean, honestly, at that point, you're going to be like right up there with what we're pitching in out of pocket. <laughs> so, 
don't don't regret that you can't do more. We're just thankful you can. Um, Calvin said, "Yeah, onion eyes make capitalists cry." That's fucking (laughs) hilarious. Calvin said, "I'll be live streaming from the anti coal bailout at the Columbus State House at twelve noon on Thursday." That's awesome. Um, I'll have to make sure to check that out. Um, you know, you're more than welcome to uh, post it in the For We Are Many education and discussion group. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about, well, I guess really uh, politics in Ohio in general, but um, yeah. <laughs> Feel free to merch it to merch that. So if anybody wants to design an onion eyes make capitalists cry t-shirt, <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll totally sell it. And I'll totally wear it. I can't wear it to work. I have to wear a chef's coat. Damn it. Wear it under your chef's coat and unbutton it every break. Um, so I'm still scrolling back to, to the list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Oh boy. Yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah so where do i even start i guess we can start in the fucking oh. 1930s let's let let's start <laughs> let's start in the fucking 1930s Fair. Fair. 1936 the fucking nazis hosted the olympics and we did not do a diplomatic boycott yep that We went to the Nazis Olympics, but we wouldn't go, at least diplomatically, uh, to the USSR Olympics. And now we're trying to play that same fucking bullshit with Beijing. And I mean, honestly, it's kind of fucking funny on Twitter because like (laughs) Communist Party officials have Twitter. (laughs) And they're just like, right. they're they're roasting the, the U.S. government right now. Yeah, like, yeah. It, I laughed so fucking hard when I saw that today. <laughs> like, oh fuck. But I mean, just so we're clear, apparently these diplomatic boycotts, you know, it's really teaching them a lesson. So what it comes down to is the Uyghur Muslim population in Xinjiang. I probably butchered that China. Um, And what we have to understand is that this group is a religious extremist group that advocates for the overthrow of the Chinese government much like the Taliban in Afghanistan. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that maybe 
maybe being forced to read a fucking book or to talk to a therapist about how your actions are negatively affecting the lives of millions of other people. Maybe that's a little bit more humane than a 20-year land war. Maybe we should sit the fuck down. Well said. Um, Wade said, well, of course not. The U.S. loved the Nazis until they had to fight them. Um, Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Nazis actually modeled their racist ass fucking anti-Semitic laws after the United States fucking race laws, Jim Crow laws, things like that. They were modeling their shit after the states. They loved that influence. So in case anybody was confused at all about that. <laughs> yeah. You know. And, um, Let's not forget that the only reason we went to war... Well, okay, actually, let's rewind a little bit. Let's do a little bit of a World War II history lesson, shall we? So, anarchists like to point out that the USSR and Nazi Germany had an alliance for a third of World War II. It was not an alliance. It was a non-aggression pact that is not the same thing. Right. First of all. And second of all, Stalin signed that to buy time to build the necessary tools of war where they would have been fucking overrun, point blank. Um, So, like, I'm not, I guess, trying to say that the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact wasn't without fault, I guess. But let's rewind just a little bit more and remember that the only reason that happened was because first Stalin reached out to Winston Churchill and the government of France to, you know, form an alliance against Germany. And they felt that Germany wasn't a threat and that it was best to live and let live until France got overran like two weeks later. Yep. Um. And then the U.S. didn't want to get involved in the war at all, right? We declared war on Japan because they bombed us, okay? And then the Germans declared war on us, and that's the only reason we were ever in Europe. And the United States military did not win that. The Red Army did. All the the army with, States by the way, the army with the most casualties of any in World War II was the Red Army, and they were still the only ones that had the fucking testicles to get it done. And in some cases, ovaries. There's quite a few. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> actually, um, Stalin approved the sale of a T-34 tank to a German woman to, you know, hunt Nazis with. Yep. So, um, <laughs> go Red Army. <laughs> the Red Army won that war. All the yeah. United States military did when they arrived in Europe was help hold the line. Yep. I mean, I guess we could take credit for liberating France, but that was communist and socialist fucking organizers on the ground. 
right. that were mounting a resistance the entire time that they were occupied by the Nazis. We just gave them the material support to get it done. Right. Um, I'm not sure what is that in reference to. Oh, number of troops, probably. India had three million, Wade said. So they were also pitching harder. <laughs> um, James said, so Hitler copied America. And yeah, yep. actually, yes. yes. Uh, he was heavily influenced by Jim Crow laws, um, by the Civil War even, uh, by the genocide of the indigenous people of Turtle Island. All of this was were huge influencing factors for the Nazis. Uh, in fact, the eugenics bullshit that started the extermination of the Jews and the master race, uh, that was... That all came from American scientists. That was a big influencing factor there when um, it came down to the United States also importing a whole bunch of Nazi scientists like during and after the war to continue that fucked up shit here. Uh, yeah, including... <laughs> Including rocket specialists that helped us, you know, like develop uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, um, including the rocket scientists that got us to fucking space. And yes, Wade, uh, if 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 nobody is familiar with what we're talking about pertaining to Americans recruiting Nazis, um, look up Project Paperclip. Yep. Just Google it. I mean, your source will literally be declassified FBI documents. Yep. <laughs> Read for yourself. And, uh, yeah, let that burst some more of those bubbles, guys. Holy shit. I forgot about my background music. <laughs> Actually, not not almost. I did. It's been like twenty minutes. <laughs> I totally forgot about it too. Didn't even realize it had quit playing. Um. Yeah, Calvin. I said during and after the war. There were some that they were sneaking out during, but uh, many of them after the war. Well, let's not forget, there's no way that the fucking Nazis didn't know it was coming. I mean, shit, a lot of the SS officers and stuff had time to, like, change their name and fucking fit back into normal life by the time that the Nuremberg trials happened. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, immediately following the war, the war was probably the biggest wave. But, I mean, the ones that realized they were on a sinking ship were trying to get out of there before the war ended. Um, Wade said okay. the audacity of the U.S. is beyond unbelievable. And yeah, yeah, I don't know how else to word it. Um, but I mean, Vladimir Lenin said imperialism is the highest stage of capitalism. 
Um, we've seen from historical playing out from history playing out, I guess that, um, wow. I just had a total brain fart. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, James said they had to hunt for a lot of them after, and some probably never were found. Um, well, we do know, uh, also through declassified CIA and FBI documents that at least two German U-boats showed up on the coast of Argentina several months after the fall of Berlin. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily trying to say that the body the Red Army said was Hitler wasn't Hitler, but we do know that a lot of high-ranking SS officials safely made it to Argentina, and that's why Argentina still has such a right-wing presence today. Yep. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, Dude, isn't isn't that isn't that how it always goes, Wade? <laughs> Speaking on important topics, brain go burr. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what sucks about it is like I feel like I was getting ready to say something like almost profound, and then I'm just like, duh. <laughs> it just went bloop out into the ether. <laughs> um. I need to ask Vicky if she emailed me that thing. Um, that's a good question. Oh, it's in the drive. It's in the drive. Okay. Um, okay. So what I'm about to pull up, we're going to be talking about the shooting in Oxford, Michigan. Um Give me just a minute here. I'm actually going to pull up a news article about it first. Um, long story short, four students were killed. Six were injured. A teacher was injured. Um, Thank you for clarifying that, Emily, but I realized that right after I asked. Okay, so... Three hours ago, uh, Local 4, click on Detroit, um, posted, Oxford School District will use outside firm to investigate high school shooting. Um this is actually kind of a long video, but that's totally okay because a lot of what we are going to be talking about uh, includes this perspective that the school administration um, are culpable as well, not just the parents. Although I do think that it's a goddamn good thing that the parents are being charged because they completely enabled this. Yep. And again, that be a big part of what we're talking about. But anyway... I will shut up and maybe I will this actually it was like full screen mode 
Oh, now it blooped back. What is happening right now? Fuck, Tino. I can't see your screen. YouTube just freaked the fuck out, man. No, I, I stopped the the thing so I could refresh the site, and then now it's like spazzing. Oh, oh, ah. oh. <clears throat> I love that, Wade. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, hello. I just can't see the dishwasher. Yep, now YouTube go. Brr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, this is the screen. I'm staring at you. ready for this? Oh, my God. Now the video starts playing. It's not screen sharing. It was trying. It was trying. It's <laughs> I'm going to start this back over. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with a fugitive manhunt in Michigan that continues even as I speak to you tonight. James and Jennifer Crumbly were set to be arraigned this afternoon on charges related to their son's shooting rampage at Oxford High School on Tuesday. But they never showed up. Their failure to appear triggered a statewide manhunt with local officials working with the FBI and federal marshals to try and track them down. The couple's lawyers told reporters that they had left town on the night of the shooting, but would be returning to be arraigned. Earlier today, Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald, in a stunning news conference, announced that her office would be charging both parents with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. While the shooter was the one who entered the high school and pulled the trigger, there are other individuals who contributed to this, to the events on November 30th, and it's my intention to hold them accountable. Gun ownership, is a right and with that right comes great responsibility based on the information and evidence i have received today i am announcing charges against the shooter's parents mcdonald proceeded to lay out disturbing details about the days leading up to the mass murder and the role that both parents played in facilitating it according to the prosecutor james crumbly purchased the 9mm Sig Sauer pistol for his son, the 15-year-old gunman, last Friday. Then on Monday, the day before the shooting, a teacher caught the teen searching on his phone for information about ammunition. Here's what happened next. Jennifer Crumbly was contacted via voicemail by school personnel regarding that son's inappropriate internet search. School personnel indicate they followed that voicemail up with an email, but received no response from either parent. Thereafter, Jennifer Crumbly exchanged text messages about the incident with her son on that day, stating, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught, end quote. Then on Tuesday, the morning of the shooting, McDonald said that the teen's teacher discovered an alarming note on his desk with a drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, the thoughts won't stop, help me. She said it also contained a drawing of a bullet with the words, blood everywhere, and a drawing of a person who appeared to be shot and bleeding. 
His parents were immediately, immediately summoned to the school for a meeting with officials. At the meeting, James and Jennifer Crumbly were shown the drawing and were advised that they were required to get the sh their son into counseling within 48 hours. Both James and Jennifer Crumbly failed to ask their son if he had his gun with him or where his gun was located and failed to inspect his backpack for the presence of the gun, which he had with him. James and Jennifer Crumbly resisted the idea of then leaving the school at that time, of, of their son leaving the school at that time. Instead, James and Jennifer Crumbly left the high school without their son. He was returned to the classroom. The gun that he received was an early Christmas gift, stored unlocked in a drawer in his parents' bedroom. As news broke of the shooting at Oxford High School, Jennifer Crumbly texted her son, don't do it. The school has come under intense scrutiny after reports surfaced that the parents had, some, had been summoned to the school to discuss their son the morning of the shooting. Today's briefing confirmed that. I'm not going to give you a political answer, and I'm not going to cover for anybody, and I'm just going to say what I think, and that is, of course he shouldn't have gone back to that classroom. Of course he shouldn't have. Ethan Crumbly was charged with four counts of first-degree murder, terrorism, and other crimes. Meanwhile, the Oxford community, which is 30 miles north of Detroit, has been left reeling by the murders of the four students, Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Meir, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling. And tonight, the family of Justin Schilling, who made... I, um, I just paused this to give these four individuals a moment of silence. Their flame was extinguished far too early. Actually, before I unpause, I just want to make clear again for the record that we do not own this media. We are using it for educational purposes. Decision to donate his organs together with hospital staff will line the hall of the hospital as his body is wheeled to the operating suite where he will make one final gift to others. Now is Maya Wiley, former MSNBC legal analyst. Ralph Godby, former chief of police for the city of Detroit and the Detroit Public Schools Community District, uh, Community District. Frank Figluzzi, former assistant director for counterintelligence and the FBI, for the FBI, and MSNBC correspondent Shaquille Brewster, live in Pontiac, Michigan. And Shaq, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Um, what's the mood in the town this evening? The mood earlier today, I understand, was pretty much anger. Yeah, and right now it's it's grief. Uh, there's a prayer vigil happening in downtown Oxford as you have the members of the community coming together to pray and reflect on the four students who were lost and then those who are injured. Some who are still in the hospital fighting. They're improving, according to the prosecutor, but still fighting uh, to preserve their life in the hospital at this point. So you have that tone of grief right now, but you had a tone of accountability coming from the prosecutor earlier today when she filed these charges, these four charges of involuntary voluntary manslaughter against the parents and right now there's tension as well and that's because those parents are still on the loose there's still a very active manhunt for the parents and that's despite the contradicting and conflicting messages that we've been hearing really throughout the afternoon as we know it right now it was about 12 p.m. 
when authorities started looking for these two parents. They knew the charges were going to be filed there. They just got they just heard the press conference. They started looking to arrest these parents. And at 12 p.m. that search started. But despite some previous contact between the attorneys and sheriff's department, they don't know where they are right now. And that manhunt continues. I said it mentions it involves the U.S. Marshal, involves the FBI. They're looking for these parents to bring them in. That 4 p.m. arraignment that we expected, it just never happened, Joy. Well, that, that, is, that is pretty amazing. Uh, let me go to Chief Godby. Um, everything seems to have gone wrong here. I mean, since Columbine, we've all understood that mass shootings, in, unfortunately, in the United States, because we have a gun culture, happen all the time. My kids did active shooting drills going back to third grade. They're now in their 20s. So pretty much their whole life had to do active shooter drills in school. So everybody now knows the signs. Isolated kid, issues, um, presenting himself with sort of violent imagery. Every, this kid did everything possible to raise the, to wave the red flag. Clearly, his parents didn't get it because they bought him a Sig Sauer, which is basically like a Glock. Like, that's a serious weapon to buy for a child. So they completely mi uh, missed the, the mark. Do you think that it's also not legal for a 15 year old child to even possess this that kid weapon? did seem to be showing all the signs that I thought we had been taught to, to look for when it comes to preventing suicide. Joy, I think you make some very profound points. And I would say I think the school administration definitely failed those young people. Uh, and they failed to shoot her because the, things like this don't happen in a vacuum. And w one thing that really concerns me is the number of children that allegedly did not show up for school that day that had appreciation for the fact that they knew something horrible was going to happen. And then for the administrators not to immediately get that child some help uh, to send him to class, uh, they had more, they had more than a reasonable suspicion to search the backpack to call police, to have him committed uh, for 72 hours for observation for mental reasons. They had so many tools in their toolbox that they did not take advantage of. I think we've probably seen enough of this video to carry on with the conversation. Um, so talking about some of the ways that the administration failed this, um, before we dive too deep into our coverage on it. I would like to thank uh, Vicky um, for putting this all together. Um, we will be posting the article uh, once it's finished, um, which I mean, from what I'm reading of it right now, it's reasonably close to finish finished. <clears throat> but yeah, anyway, a huge shout out to Vicky for collecting the information for this piece and putting it together. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. And agreed, Emily. Vicky does fucking rock. <laughs> agreed. <laughs> um, so she titled it The Crumbly Family is Crumbling. I dig it. <laughs> Uh, Black Friday, seasonal shopping day of the year, where retailers have massive sales hoping to boost the holiday shopping season. This goes for all types of retailers, including even gun shops. Father and son go shopping together and purchase a beauty, a 9mm 6-hour model SP 2022. So, like, when we're saying brand new, I mean, it's like the brand new model and everything. Great. Um, 
It appears it is 15-year-old Ethan's early Christmas present. Proud mom, Jen, boasts on social media about his new gift, and Ethan does the same. Uh, actually, Easton, or Ethan called it his... I forget if it was his beauty or his baby with heart emojis. Um, and that was four days before the shooting. Um, everything is normal for the American family, but Ethan Crumbly, a 15-year-old sophomore student, had been having issues. Some assume bullying, some assume mental health struggles. The motive is still unclear as of now. He had made vague threats to students, prompting a letter to parents sent out from the school on November 12th, 2021. The letter advised that they had heard the rumors of violence, but could find no credit to the claims, assuring them their children were safe. Failure number one. Right. November 29th, 2021, the students returned to school from Thanksgiving break. Ethan was caught. At school, in class, on his fucking cell phone, um, searching for ammunition on his cell phone by a teacher, the teacher reported her concern to the school. Attempts to call and email Ethan's mother were unanswered. Instead, she texts her son, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You just have to learn how to not get caught. The next morning... Another teacher saw a picture on Ethan's desk that he had drawn. The picture was of a, of a handgun. Vicky put a gun, but I mean, according to the information that I've read about it, it was specifically a handgun. Um, anyway, uh, the picture was of a handgun, a person who appeared <laughs> to be shot in the head, a bullet, and words such as blood everywhere and the thoughts won't stop, help me as well as laughing emojis. The teacher had taken a picture of it with her cell phone and reported it to the school. James and Jennifer Crumbly were once again contacted by the school. According to staff, it took 90 minutes for the parents to arrive. I mean, I, if that was, if that was the only fucking issue here, then I could understand that. I mean, maybe they were at work. Maybe they had to, you know, like get their shifts covered to leave work. I could understand that. Right. Um, but that's not where the problems with this story end. It took 90 minutes for the parents to arrive. During that time, they determined his demeanor was calm and he spoke about how he wanted to become a video game designer. When his parents arrived, they flat out refused to remove him from the school over a picture. And since the school did not see him as a threat, they allowed him to return to class. But I mean, just the, the text written on it, and James, I, well, and Kathy, I'm not ignoring your comments. I will get to them momentarily, but I, I have quite a bit to say to James's. Um, anyway, so they, they tried to like gaslight the school though, like take them out of school over a picture. What about the shit that he wrote on the picture? Please help me. The voices won't stop for one. Or blood everywhere for another. Right. Like, that is clear signs um, of, like, okay, some uh, mental health care is in order here. Um, as Natalie said a moment ago, warning signs vastly apparent and dismissed. Completely right. dismissed when they should have been addressed. 
you know, how many red flags does the kid need to drop that he needs some fucking help? Right. Um, and thank you, Kathy. Yeah, actually, I'm at the end of the paragraph, so I will um, address the comments now. Kathy, um, I mean, to be honest, we couldn't just not talk about this. Um, there, there's too much to it and we're, we're going to get to more, obviously you have to go back to work. I understand that. Um, you know, like, fuck, do I understand that? God damn it. <laughs> I'm so sick of work. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the videos will be available later. And if you prefer podcast platforms, it'll be on that tonight. Um, now James, why buy a 15 year old, a handgun anyways? Exactly. He's not even legal to carry it. You got to be 21 to carry a fucking handgun in the state of Michigan. It would be one thing if it was locked up in a gun safe and the only time he got to use it was under their supervision at a range. I can see teaching your kids that young, but just here, yeah. here's I mean, and do as thou wilt. No. No. I mean, in the the reality of the situation is, like, if you're going to be buying a gun for a 15-year-old child, then it should probably be, you know, something that would be suitable for them at that time. And I don't think a 9 millimeter, uh, 9 millimeter pistol is that. It should have been, like, a 22 rifle. Rifle, yeah. Or a, or a 410, or maybe even, like, a 20-gauge shotgun. It should right. not have been a six-hour nine millimeter with a seventeen-round magazine plus one in the chamber. Mm-mm. It should not have been any form of semi-automatic weapon. It should have been either pump action or lever. Not. Anyway, I don't know. I I mean, I'm from Michigan, from a rural area. And I mean, I got my first shotgun. I forget if it was my 15th or 16th birthday. I actually still have that shotgun up at Don's. But that's a shotgun, um, not a nine millimeter. Right. Exactly. It was a it was a twenty gauge shotgun. It was a fucking bird gun. Right. And I wasn't allowed to use it outside of when my dad was there. And it was locked up when I wasn't allowed to use it. Um, right. As Wade said, and kept under lock when not supervised. I mean, yes. most people in Michigan have a fucking gun safe in their living room. Okay, maybe not anymore, but 30 years ago, most people in the in that region of Michigan had a gun safe in their living room. Um, I mean, for fuck's use sake, it. even the last time that you and I were out to your dad's old place to go shooting and stuff, we asked the old man first before we used his guns. <laughs> had to get them out of the gun safe, and I'm pretty sure at the time that would have been like five six years ago so yeah um i was already 35 you were already you know 25 and guess what we still had regard for that process that procedure well and his ammunition i mean ultimately he paid for that shit and we were buying it off of him right (laughs) you know like hey do you care if we burn (laughs) fucking 100 rounds oh whatever right but it's a matter of respect you know, not to mention, you know, responsible use of 
of just, you know, going target shooting, not going to school. Um, and yeah, James says, Mommy, can I have the Uzi? <laughs> oh, okay, honey, just put your clothes in the hamper. <laughs> God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, man. Yeah. That's a little too on the nose, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, no, I mean, like, that being said, we very clearly advocate for the right to bear arms here, and we're not trying to, like, get rid of that in any way, shape, right. or form, but we do need some fucking common sense behind it. If you're not going to lock it up, don't even think about getting your child a firearm. Holy fuck. Right. Got to keep in mind, child puberty so hormonal and hormones do not mix well with guns sorry don't care who you are what gender you are if you were a teenager going through puberty you just you don't need to have unencumbered access to a firearm of any fucking kind i don't care <laughs> too many mood swings no we're talking about somebody who has not aged enough to have some fucking wisdom it needs to learn respect for what these things are and what they do wade said a water arm your mic again you have something important to say (laughs) (laughs) wade said a water arm maybe but i was gonna say sounds like he should have gotten a fucking super soaker instead of a sig sour right right and then i saw that water arm comment and about lost it (laughs) yep Yeah, give that kid a super soaker. Fuck, man. But that's the thing, though. Like, And and I don't necessarily like the way that some of the media came at it, making it a a gun issue. You know, like, I mean, I do want to draw attention. It's a fucking irresponsible parent issue. Right. I do want to draw some attention to the parents being Trump supporters and writing an open letter to the former president about his gun stance and you know, making a safe America for her to raise her son in and all this shit. But like, I also don't want to like make it sound or imply in any way, shape or form that I'm preaching an anti-gun narrative. I'm not. I just, I choked on the fucking audacity there of she's writing Trump to ask about how to make America safe for her son to grow up. No, no, no. Thanking him. For well, making America you. safe for her son to grow up in. Thank you. Thanking him for that. What about the kids who fucking deserve to be safe from your son, bitch? Exactly. Exactly. And I, I mean like this. And I'm not saying that every Trump supporter is a racist. But I'm saying that most racists are Trump, supporters. Trump supporters. And I mean, I don't think that that Trump was very hiding of his like, you know, anti people of color rhetoric. And I mean, you know, her writing an open letter to Donald Trump about creating a safe America for her to raise her son in is kind of spouting white supremacy. But anyway, uh, (laughs) that off the table though, I, I mean, like there was so many red flags in this family and sure, the school the school administrators say there's like no signs of abuse at home, but like there's a hell of a lot of signs um, of mental instability. There's yeah, and 
I call that neglect when you allow your child to have unencumbered access to firearms. So that is a form of abuse. Plus, whatever is going on there environmentally that would even influence a kid that age to think it's okay to go shoot the fucking school up. What in the entitlement are we fucking talking about here, motherfuckers? Like, come on now. That, for them to say that, like, okay, they're probably going, well, we don't see any bruises on him. Well, guess what? That that doesn't mean shit for what he's clearly been taught. And then they left him on his own. Emily just commented, the parents literally got their own lawyers and said, fuck you to their son and told the media they won't be helping him at all. Okay, and I'm not trying to make excuses for this kid, but he's a 15-year-old kid, and instead of getting the help that he needs, he's going to go straight from school to prison. Yep. Um, and I don't, I don't think that charging a 15-year-old child as an adult is the most productive way to go about this either. But frankly, I don't have a better alternative. I really don't. How do you deal with this situation? I mean, like, what, are, do you throw him in a mental hospital for a couple of years and hope it gets better and then let him back out? Or do you, like, throw him in prison nope. and say, fuck you, just rot there? They <laughs> I mean, can swat him on the fucking wrist like Kyle Rittenhouse got. But, you know, for fuck's sake, at least the state of Michigan is uh prosecuting not just him but the parents they at least went one step further than kenosha did that actually surprised me and i think that and i'm not saying that he shouldn't be charged i don't i like what i was about to say <laughs> right. could have implied no, he that. absolutely does need to be charged He's a, he chose to go and commit a fucking act of murder right right exactly like i'm glad i'm glad he's getting charged but i have mixed feelings about it being uh charging a 15 year old because kid is an adult that being said, I'm glad that the parents were charged with manslaughter. Um, from the sounds of it, I mean, they, they should have been charged with accessory in addition to involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they should be coming down harder on the parents than involuntary manslaughter. But at least it's a felony charge and maybe it'll serve to lead an example. And Wade, that's ultimately what I was getting at. Prison does not make society better. It makes them worse. Um, and, and that's what I'm concerned about is the conditions that he's going to face in prison. And, you know, if he's in there for 25 fucking years and comes out an even more hardened criminal, or I, actually I can't even say even more, he's not a hardened criminal yet, but he comes out of there a hardened criminal, he's never going to be able to readjust to normal life. Um. So that's that's I mean, a concern too. Even even if he was to serve out that entire 20 25 years whatever he could be looking at in a mental ward, he he wouldn't come out of there the same either. Um but uh This is true. This would not be as much of a damning experience as going to prison, you know. Right. And that's, and that's what I'm concerned about. And I mean, in this situation, like, sure, he's going to prison as a murderer. So like, that's fine. The punishment fits the crime. But like, what about kids that get busted with weed? Or, you know, other drugs? 
depending on the state, I mean, you can be charged with a felony for any amount of cocaine. So, I mean, obviously this is not the same as a drug charge, but the point is, is I'm actually wrestle, wrestling with this issue myself because I do believe in the abolition of the prison system as we know it. Um, but that being said, given our current system, I don't see a better alternative. Well, at least something can be improved there and put an end to the prison for profit shit that happens. We should not have privately owned prisons profiteering no. off of it. Um, that's a world away from simply trying to make a, a measure that can protect society from people who are clearly a threat to society. Um, it's one of them fucked slippery slopes to stand on when it comes to you know ethical dealings with cases like this because you know I, Nat I mean, Natalie said I'm just not sure on the parents and like here here's my thing that gun wasn't even legal for him to carry in the right. state of Michigan you have to be 21 to carry a handgun he was 15 it's not like he was 20 and almost there um, you know, or even 18 where he's legally an adult, he's a child. Um, and it wasn't kept secured. I mean, honestly, like, let's say for example, that my gun is at home and I invite somebody over and my gun is not secured and they take it and they go to a mall and shoot up the mall. That's on me for not securing that gun. Yep. You're the one that would be held responsible for providing them access to it. So, I'm, I mean, you know, for parents deliberately buying their unstable 15-year-old a gun, I, I think that they should be held accountable for that. Um, right. Like, and, and come on now, get a fucking clue. Like, if you're only a matter of days from having bought your 15-year-old his first gun and he's already scribbling death threats on his fucking desk at school maybe take the fucking gun away from him you don't text him like oh no don't do it like bitch, yeah right like that's mind-blowing like right? he had the gun on him at school that's what that screams to me is she knew he had the gun on him at school because otherwise what would he be doing? What What is she telling him not to do if not to shoot up the school? That's right. where that screams that responsibility to me because clearly that, that tells me she was aware at that moment that it was not at home in her fucking dresser drawer. Yeah. Um, also, since Vicky is in the comments, I want to give her another shout out. So that way I know for a fact that she heard it. <laughs> um, but thank you, Vicky, for um, finding the information on this case and keeping up with it as more information comes to light. Um, and thank you for putting together this article. I don't know what else you still want to add to it, but I think that it's closer to done than you were giving yourself credit for. <laughs> Um, anyway, so back to the article, actually, 
so three hours later, um, after they refused to take him home, uh, November 30th, 2021, at 12.51 p.m., a young man exits one of the restrooms at Oxford High School uh, near Detroit, Michigan. As the last video said, it was about 30 miles out. Um, in his hand, he is holding his new toy, aiming it at students in the hallways and classrooms of the school. Uh, the active shooter drill is no longer a drill. Um, teachers and students begin the protocol fearing for their lives. 100 phone calls go to 911 by students and teachers during the five minutes of shooting. 100 911 calls in the five minutes of shooting. Um, while Ethan fired approximately 30 <coughs> rounds. Uh, there is also talk about Ethan pretending to be a police officer trying to get into a classroom, um, but was denied access after suspicion he was an officer uh, faded by stating, let me in, bro. Oh, God. Some reports say that it was Ethan, while others state that it was truthfully an officer. Um, within five minutes, Ethan had placed his weapon down in a, another restroom and surrendered to police. He had 18 rounds still in his gun, <clears throat> which if he had fired 30 rounds, approximately 30 rounds, uh, exactly. Wait, that's what I was getting to. Multiple yeah, mags. Multiple we know, mags. we know that the mag holds 17 plus one in the chamber. Um, so it was probably 34 plus the 18. I would tend to think, well, 33 plus the 18. And that means that he'd gone in there and like, he had just reloaded. <laughs> yeah. He ended up surrendering. Um, Ethan is facing one count of terrorism, four counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of Tate Meyer, Hannah St. Juliana, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling, seven counts of assault with with eh, seven counts of uh, <laughs> I just saw Wade's comment. Right. Seven counts of assault with intent to murder for those wounded, which was six students plus one teacher, and twelve counts of possession of a firearm while committing a felony. Um. The maximum sentence is life in prison without the possibility of parole. The moment Ethan came out of that restroom marked the 222nd. This is a crisis. The 222nd school shooting in 2021. That is the 222nd time that a firearm was brandished, fired, or a bullet hit school property in one year. Out of 222 incidents, 38 students have been killed, 140 wounded, and 17 other more minor injuries. Um, out of 222 incidents, there were nine active shooters and 217 non-active shooters. That is over 100 more than the years of 2018 and 2019, which created horrible instances such as the Santa Fe High School shooting on May 18, 2018, with 10 victims, or the Parkland shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on February 14, 2018, with 17 victims. Oxford High School was the deadliest school shooting since those instances in 2018. And let's not forget that there was none in the year that schools were closed. And we're breaking records in the year since. 
Some of that could be because of the COVID pandemic, which had students out of schools, but now that they're all back and it doesn't seem to be any fucking better. The media is portraying this young man in two different lights. One version is he was a great kid, pure and innocent, uh, that must have lost control from bullying. Right. They were showing pictures of him. I think that that is a factor Uh, in most of these school shootings. I feel like that is a factor. But it is not the factor. And while it explains it, it doesn't fucking excuse it. Right. And they were also showing photos of him from when he was like 10 years old instead of current ones. To try to paint that picture of here's this sweet little kid. Yep. And the other version uh, is him as a very troubled kid who everyone seemed to ignore. Which ultimately... I think that that's probably a bigger factor than bullying in this case. His parents yeah. didn't give a fuck about him, and they made that apparent when they wouldn't pick him up from school. Right. They didn't give a flying fuck. So, and, where and, is the culpability? Some news outlets, outlets, state neighbors have been concerned by his behavior for years, even at some points com- contacting CPS where the complaints were deemed unfounded or without merit, which is also interesting because I have seen a parent um, temporarily lose their child for pissing hot for marijuana when they had a state legal medical card. Right, but these motherfuckers got to keep their kid with this shit going on? Right. It's, It's really wild, actually. Because if that was in the city of Flint, they would have made an excuse to get that child out of that home, just like they do for actual loving, caring parents in the inner city every fucking day. Right. Um, the school knew of the potential danger, yet allowed him back to class after advising the parents to get him counseling within 48 hours. The parents, however, knew they gave him access to the gun, stated it was his publicly, and after seeing his art... Did not think to give him the day off of school or check his bag. The parents are to blame. Again, there's more to the story. The night before the shooting, Ethan had made two videos on his cell phone. It is unclear if he sent them to anyone. However, he did make a post on his Instagram account where he posted a picture of his gun and the quote, Now I become death, destroy of worlds. See you tomorrow, Oxford. Are you fucking kidding me? Did nobody see this? His Instagram account says he has 117 followers. Are his parents followers? Uh, There are details we still do not know. We also know he kept a very detailed journal for his plans to murder students. The exact details of that journal have not been released to the public, outside of the fact that it was also in his backpack. Now, in the defense of the police, they can't publish the contents of that journal, I'm sure. Uh, If his trial is televised, we will see it then. Um, But, of course, they're not going to tell us what was in it. It's an ongoing investigation. That would be damning to the fucking prosecution's case if they were just like, hey, look what was in here. They would call it changing the the jury pool. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
It is hard to think the parents did not realize something was different, mostly because the shooting began at 12.51. At 1.15, news broke to the public. At 1.22, Jen sent a text to Ethan stating, don't do it. At 1.37, James called 911 to report the gun missing. In other words, they heard the news and she was like, oh shit. And he was like, that gun better be there. And it wasn't. So they panicked and fled town. Anyway. um, And stated that he believes his son was the shooter. They couldn't reply to the school in a timely manner, but James could rush home and notice the gun missing. Uh, Mom had a feeling and texted, don't do it. Typically, parents are not charged in cases such as school shootings. In this rare instance, however, the parents are being charged. As they were learning, they retained an attorney for themselves and had a time scheduled to turn themselves in. They did not appear. They fled town. A $10,000 reward was issued uh, as a manhunt for the couple pursued. They had withdrawn $4,000 from the bank, uh, only a few blocks from where they were found hiding. Fucking stupid. Um, While attorneys were stating they fled for safety and were returning to turn themselves in, they were found late in the evening when someone called in and uh, said they believe they saw Jennifer. Um, In the area, their vehicle was located, and shortly later, the couple was found, unarmed, in a storage shed for an artist whose office was located on Bellevue Street in Detroit, Michigan. The couple was arraigned by video later that evening and each charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. They each have a bond of $500,000, which to be fair, that's only you need 10% in the state of Michigan to get out on a surety bond. That is $5,000. They need $5,000. They already had four like in their possession. So, I mean, that's just something to think about. But a couple takeaways with uh, all of this is how the parents were charged. Michigan laws on uh, on guns are inadequate and have many loopholes. Typically speaking, when you apply to purchase, you state on the application you are not purchasing the firearm for someone else. I would like to interject here as a longtime resident of the state of Michigan. I don't really have a problem with Michigan's gun laws. If you're committing a felony with a gun, it's a fucking extra felony. Um, What more needs to be said? Um, There are some loopholes that exist in many states, such as the gun show loophole for buying a gun. However, you still have to any any time that you purchase from a dealer like they did, you have to fill out an ATF form. And when you fill out that ATF form, which this is all 50 states, by the way, you are saying on the application that you are not purchasing the firearm for someone else. If you check that box and you give it to someone else, that is potentially a federal crime. Um, anyway, since Jennifer and Ethan both posted on social media that the gun belonged to Ethan, this could create more charges against James. So far, this is unclear. It's going to take, I think longer for the feds to file charges than the state. As of right now, they're already in custody. Um, yeah. Uh, James, I don't know if they were going to head for Mexico or not. Honestly, they were trying to uh, uh, hide out in Detroit, which with fascist sympathies, being a white person, 
Detroit is not your best bet to hide. <laughs> well, there's, I'm there's quite a few anti-fascists in Detroit, and uh, I mean, I'm sure their vehicles had Trump stickers all over them. I mean, come on. I'm actually wondering if they were trying to make their way to the Ambassador Bridge to cross over to Canada. Canada. That would be hey, easier. look at that. They were suspecting oh. suspected having went to Canada. I don't know if oh. they went to Canada. Um, but, but I, think I do think that was their headed. plan. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that makes sense to me to be heading into Detroit is to take the ambassador. Um, right. Um, there's also the tunnel for that matter, but either way, I mean, what else would they have been doing yeah. in Detroit? Because they sure e as fuck weren't either trying way, to Canada. hide there. Right. right. Either way, it's routes to Canada. <laughs> you know? Um, um, Another is why we still have not done better on gun safety laws. Um, sure, the Second Amendment states the right to bear arms, but we also have civil liberties to not be shot by a person with a firearm. Five families are forever changed, while seven other individuals have injuries and countless others with trauma. And I don't disagree with that. Um, I really don't. I mean, that being said, I... I I'm concerned about how gun laws will be implemented. Um, so far, they... What's the word I'm looking for? They affect people of color drastically more than they do um, white males specifically. So, I mean, can we do better on our gun safety laws? Yeah. Mental health checks, background checks, um, waiting periods, all of these things I would be in favor of. Um because I don't, I don't view it as gun control. I view it as common fucking sense. Right. But I'm, I mean, that's just my take on it. I also uh, completely understand um, where people on both the the more gun friendly side come from, and the people on the not so gun friendly side come from. Um, but that that's the thing is that what we don't have, we still have our gun culture to be fucking sure, but what we don't have is the culture of learning how to respect firearms. What we don't have is the culture of learning how to properly use and care for firearms. And we're not taught, um, at least in the same way, that life is sacred. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Thank you again to, to Vicky for writing this. And, um, I mean, what do you guys think about uh, <clears throat> gun laws? Well, James had asked if people under 18 have the right to bear arms. And I would think that they would if it was a case of, like, you're at home and somebody is breaking in and trying to fucking kill you or something. Then, yeah. You'd be defending your own life. I believe stand your ground would apply for someone under 18. But to be carrying it out in public like that? No. At least not in Michigan. Well, and, and it was concealed. So, like, okay, yeah. so he was guilty he of two misdemeanors. <clears throat> right. He was guilty of two misdemeanors as soon as he walked out the front door. Yeah. Um, you know, concealed carrying without a CPL uh, being the first one. And uh, minor in possession of a handgun, which I believe is a felony for the second one. Right. 
So, I mean, if it had been that, some, the, the line where been a, run is like directly on his front door, <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. And, um, I mean, from the sounds of it, if, if that gun was kept unsecured, the other guns in the house probably were too. Um, let's see. I, we don't really got much left in terms of, uh, upcoming, uh, I, I guess what we have left rather is talking about upcoming things. Um, we already brought up the Judas and the black Messiah, uh, patron movie watch along. We just do that in zoom. Obviously we can't broadcast the movie for copyright reasons. Right. But what we can do is create a Zoom room and... Um, just watch the movie together. <laughs> yeah, just watch the movie together. We can pause it whenever, you know, to add commentary or whatever. Um, we just can't broadcast it. So, um, Wade uh, in the comments on Facebook has offered... Um, to pay for five patron subs um, if you would like to be a patron, but you don't have the money, um, contact him and that'd be awesome. And also, if, if you can't afford it and Wade's five slots are already filled, um, then we are still willing to you know grant a pass because we don't really want to like I said, keep the information behind a paywall. We're just trying to do something cool for our patrons. Right. We'll just private message you the link in that case, you know? Right. Um, what else do we got coming up? Uh, we got, we're going to have Mako coming back. I'm not sure what day that's going to air, um, but he's going to talk. Well, probably about a few things because that's how those usually go. Um, but the reason that, that we specifically invited him back on this week is, uh, he's got a new, um, blog post, eight wolves were poisoned in Alahi, uh, and I mean, I, I wanted him to come back on and talk about why that's a big fucking deal because it is, I mean, ultimately we're choosing, uh, farmers, European bovine over species that have lived here for thousands of years. Um, you can't label something that just naturally exists here as a fucking nuisance. You just can't. Maybe the cows are the nuisance. I'm just saying. Right. Um... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else do we got? We got, uh, well, it'll probably be next week now, but we're going to have um, the chairman of the White Panther Party, Jake Hansberry, on to discuss um, the birth of the Second Rainbow Coalition and the United Panther Movement and Pantherism and the um, opening of the Hassan Shakur Community, Community Center in Newark, New Jersey, um, which I, I think in any community, that's an important part, is having a physical space to organize. Um, 
Absolutely. yeah. Um, Time out, Wade. Why can't you do Zoom? I mean, we can probably figure out something else. We just can't broadcast it is the whole thing. Um, um, to be fair, we could just hop in restream without actually streaming it and just invite people. We to can only have up to 10 guests, though. Oh, yeah. With Zoom, we don't have a, a limit, I don't think. Right. Or at least if we do, we haven't met it. <laughs> right. Um. Oh, you can keep your camera off, dude. Yeah. It's fine. Last time, I mean, even us, we didn't have our cameras on. <laughs> we were literally just talking and watching the movie. Right. We literally never had the screen on anything except for my screen share of the movie itself. <laughs> so, yeah. no worries. And I mean, for that matter, if you don't want to, like, audibly talk, you can keep it to the chat. That's what John did last time. Right. That works, too. Anyway, uh, what else do we got coming up? Oh, yeah, the Greenwood piece. You yes. filmed and did the interview for that. So if you want to, like, give a little preview of what that's going to entail. Um, for the past week, Chelsea and I have been going around town. She showed me around Greenwood areas where there's still just empty lots where these homes once stood. Um, that... Let me rewind here in 1921, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, that was when Black Wall Street in Greenwood, which is a suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was burned to the ground by a bunch of fucking KKK um, with help from the American military uh, in response to there actually being a wealthy, affluent black neighborhood owning all of their own businesses and being successful. So this was a, a pure fucking just attack out of hate. Um, this was devastating. There's still uh, sites, like if you go to Google this, you could find sites telling you that, oh, it was only like 25, 30 people that died. It wasn't that bad. No, this was over 300 people that they're aware of. Um, we sat Yeah, down. and that's still a probably fairly conservative estimate. Yes, considering there's actually thousands that were not um, accounted for afterwards. Um, we sat down with Michelle from the Greenwood Cultural Center, and she gave us an inside look at the actual history. The, um, I mean, there's there's so much footage to put together here of all of the resources that they have up there at the cultural center along with this. It was really eye-opening um, because I've been trying to find more information out about this for a long time. And it, it was always just scratching the surface when it came to what I could find, even trying to search online. Um, but there, there is everything in depth from copies of newspapers at the time to statements from survivors, you name it, it's there. Um, so uh, Wade, is, Wade pointed out the, that the attack happened under a false pretext of an attack of yes. a white woman by a yes. black man. 
Yes. Just she like just like the Detroit race riots. Yes, precisely. Yes. That is correct. Um it it's a shit show. They use that as an excuse. They use that as an excuse to go mass murder and then incarcerate and hold everybody else that they were able to catch and round up amidst all this. They were holding them hostage in basically internment camps. Um, they were stacking bodies in the theater. I mean, it, it was Nazi shit. It was straight up Nazi shit that the people of Tulsa, the white people of Tulsa who are racist were doing against the black community in Tulsa. This is fucking horrendous. Just the audacity there. So bear with me um, while we get the footage cut because this opened my eyes to a lot of facets that I was completely fucking unaware of. And it's a lot to dive into. Um, we will keep you apprised as that piece develops. Um, I was speaking with Chuck the other morning, Chuck Shakur from Black Panthers. Um, who is uh, also, also from ISR. Soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, actually, uh, we, we in the near future here will likely be giving Mako and Chuck um, yes. a weekly slot if they choose to use it every week. Right. Um, we work closely with them, with ISR, um, and the other day Chuck and I were having a meeting and ended up discussing this. Come to find out he has also been working on some research on Greenwood. So we decided to collaborate on this. So there's also going to be all the work that he's been putting into this, um, as well as we asked Mako to contribute as well. Um, so this is going to be a bigger piece than me even um, it was initially set out to be. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful to have their input on it too, because Mako is of one of the tribes that walked the Trail of Tears that landed here in Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, Chuck is Afro-Indigenous too. He has roots you know, through this too, this, this is a very deeply personal subject for people who have history here. And a lot of it's because it's still impacting the way society is especially here today, but not just here. There's other towns that amidst this research, Chuck said he found other towns that had similar things happen of entire successful black neighborhoods being destroyed, burned out, and murdered. Um, Such so as, once again, the Detroit race riots. Yeah. There's so many parallels, to be honest, between the Detroit riots, uh, as they were titled, and the Tulsa yeah. massacre. And it, it was over the same kind of shit. Yep. Yep. Started in the same fucking manner as far as we're we're going to use this false accusation by a white woman of, you know, some kind of sexual assault by a black man or, or a cat calling. Um, yeah. Things like that, that it's back then these bitches were making these accusations based on, he looked at me. Yeah. Uh, we got a new patron during the stream tonight. So I want to say thank you to John McIntyre. I don't know if he's still, uh, listening at the moment, but 
Um, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, it just, I'm, I'm thinking this might end up becoming multiple deep dives. Uh, it I'm might, talk, it talk might. about this and see, because honestly, every one of these cities that has had something like this happen, there needs to be some light shined on that. Um, and the truth actually brought to light being exposed because this is the type of shit we're talking about not being fucking taught in schools. You know, people want to try to make it inflammatory, calling it critical race theory. It is true history that you didn't fucking learn in school because all you got was whitewashed bullshit that was, you know, a false sense of American exceptionalism. And the reality of history here is not so fucking pretty, not all fucking shiny. It's covered in hatred and murder. The bloodshed on this fucking land is immense. And a lot of it comes down to racism, colonialism, the whole fucking nine yards that you see unraveling into the shit show that we still live in today. And not much has changed. That's a fucking problem. Um, trying to think what else we have on deck. Um, we don't have this one scheduled yet either, but we'll let you know as soon as it is. Um, we'll be having Tom Tanuki join us. He is from Australia. He is one of the protesters that works fighting um, anti-fascism. He's is his thing. You know, he goes out fucking harassing Nazis, and it's beautiful. Dude is epic. You talking um, about Daryl? Uh, no, actually, Tom Tanuki, but Daryl does this too. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Daryl's the father of Doxy Nazing or Nazi Doxing. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> talk. Nazi Doxing. Um, but uh, Tom Tanuki, who I was telling you about uh, in Australia, uh, he's. Oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing, yeah, the, the troller of Nazis. Um, <laughs> Dude is a riot. He he goes and um, harasses the fuck out of Nazis in beautiful manners, and you know that that's his method of exposing them. Um, but he also goes out and uh, protests, you know, for the environment, things like that. Um, the guy seems really great. The conversation I had with him so far was pretty good, uh, so I can't wait to have him on. That show is going to be a fucking riot. Um, God, what else do we have coming up here? I think this week we're going to be doing another episode of Emma Goldman's book. Um, Anarchism and other essays. The next piece should be Soul on Ice, shouldn't it? Should it? I'm trying to remember now, and it's just been such a juggle clusterfuck the last week that... Um, it has. That being said, we will have a theory piece this week for the first time in like a month. So, thanks, Wade. Glad you noticed my <laughs> tongue tiedness over here. <laughs> Doxy Knotson. <laughs> oh, God. Daryl's going to get a kick out of that one. 
Uh, yeah, he is. Speaking of which, I'm still not sure when that's going to happen because, well, I don't know if you've been keeping up with Ida Vox, but Daryl's been a very busy man. Yes, he has. <laughs> um, so uh, if you have not kept up with Ida Vox and you want to know what the right wingers are doing, how they're organizing, where they're organizing, Follow look Darryl. up Ida Vox. Um, and I mean, I don't encourage you to like look this up to get freaked out by it. I'm hoping that it's like a wake up call, like, Oh shit, we need to organize because they are organizing. Right. Um, that's the thing. Like the people who he's exposing are making use of their white supremacist fucking connections to wield political power. And that is what's especially fucking scary about these people that Daryl is is following around to see what the fuck they're doing and calling them out and you know documenting who they are and what they're up to uh, it's I-D-A-B-O-F Idabot thank you yeah, that is Daryl's independent media channel dedicated solely to Doxy Nazis also, um, Facebook uh, made the mistake of once again asking me if I wanted to do a birthday fundraiser for a nonprofit. And speaking of Daryl Lamont Jenkins, I chose his One People's Project. Yes. Um, so please, for the love of God, if, if you have a few extra bucks lying around and you want to donate that or donate to that rather, um, because it's a birthday fundraiser, Facebook is covering the processing fees. So, you know, if you donate 20 bucks to IdaVox, it'll go straight to IdaVox. Mark Zuckerberg's not taking a cut. So. Yeah, and help fund the good work that Daryl's doing. And his associates at IdaVox. It's a lot, you know. Um, I, I can't imagine you know, being constantly under that microscope and that threat because the Nazis absolutely fucking hate that he's, you know, following. Well, yeah. I mean, one of them, one of them, like a Nazi tried to sucker punch him last week. And I say tried because, you know, he said that he thought the guy like tried to push him. (laughs) So obviously it wasn't a very effective punch, but um, yeah, so I mean, there is definitely risk going along with what Daryl does, and he knew that from day one, and he right. still does it because it's important work. Right, because it needs to be done. You need to know who these people are because they're your fucking local teachers at your high school. They're the businessmen running the business around the fucking corner. They're the local politicians that are being fed funds from KKK and Proud Boys and shit like that. You need to know who they are. Exactly. And Daryl's the man. Um, and, and for the love of God, you need to know if they're near you. Right. Um. Like, it, it's it's a trip. If you watch uh, his film, Alt-Right, Age of Rage, you will see... That was our last movie yeah. watch along for yes. our patrons. And, you know, it's real easy to be able to identify somebody who's a fucking racist if they're like wearing their massive fucking Southern flag shirt or something. We're not talking about that. 
We're talking about Nazis in suits. Well, I mean, I guess we're kind of talking about both. But well, yeah, yeah real but Nazis were Nazis suits. in suits. Suit and tie, clean cut, professional degrees, fucking Nazis. Um, but yeah, we have, uh, we really have to figure out our guest schedule because, uh, yeah, well, we, we had a few things we had to reschedule like two months ago that we never got rescheduled. Like, uh, will win the star Trek communist. Um, so, you know, um, we will follow up on that. Um, I, took this whole week off so I could catch up on podcast stuff, honestly. Um, but that being said, we will also probably be uh, actually getting ahead on recording the theory streams. As I already said, we will for sure have one this week and we will for sure be recording next week's this week, which means that it will be available for our patrons this week. Um, and it'll be a live stream format just like this for the rest of you next week um again we don't want to keep the information behind a paywall we just you know want to say thank you to our patrons and uh yes that is that is exactly how you spell his last name and i felt like such an asshat honestly like before he came on i was like dude so like i'm gonna ask you this before we're on air how do i say your name and he was just like win as in communism will win <laughs> and uh i haven't had a problem remembering since <laughs> Yep. Now it's um, funny. Anytime I see see anyone with that last name, my brain goes, "Communism will win." <laughs> <laughs> so it's beautiful. <laughs> will, if you're watching, thank you for that one. <laughs> for sure. Um, let's see. What do we? Uh... Obviously, we already we already talked about Mako. I'm not sure if that's going to be a live thing or a pre-recorded thing. Um, and we will be having a meeting with Miko and Chuck probably Thursday, I would assume, because, well, actually, I don't know, maybe tomorrow, who fucking knows, but either way, um, by the time that we do our Thursday theory piece, we should, uh, be able to tell you when, um, Miko and Chuck's stream will start. I know that Mako wants to do every other week, so it might be like Mako and Chuck one week and then just Chuck the next week. I'm not sure. Uh, Dean said that he was willing to come back this month. Uh, he didn't give me an exact date, but sometime this month, Coming hopefully. Soon. Coming soon, the return of the infamous Dean. Dean? Dean. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh my god, neither fucking one of us can talk tonight. Give us while we trip over our own tongues. Shit, wow. man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, also, if any of you have any ideas for some uh, good content that you would like to see, 
let us know in the comments on one of these streams or message the Facebook page or contact us on the forum on the website or email us at for we are many podcast at gmail.com. Or if you're a patron message us on Patreon. Um, literally all of our doors are open to you guys at any time. And if you feel like we've given a bad take on something, let us know. If you feel like uh, we didn't go in depth enough on something, let us know. Or if you feel like there's something that you want to hear us talk about that we haven't talked about, let us know. Right. <coughs> there's a lot going on in the world. <laughs> Shit. Just yeah. It's a lot to keep apprised of. So if there's something that you're aware of and we're not, by all means, bring it to our attention. Well said. Um, yeah, well, um, I guess I'll start working on wrapping this up. I don't have anything else. Uh. <laughs> you know, that's a line that I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> right. Made me snicker, too. <laughs> all your base are belong to us yes i have to uh, <laughs> i have to pull that up just for 30 seconds because you know copyright and all that but do it <laughs> Wait, I'm deciphering what was written before that. Is that just, oh, fuck noise? Because <laughs> that's what that looks like. I'm not sure. That's that's how my brain interprets that. It's, oh, fuck noise. Oh, who fucking knows? Who fucking knows? Okay, got you. Ah, that makes sense. <coughs> My computer's lagging a little bit. Give me just a second here. No. <coughs> What happened? Someone set up us the bug. We get signal. What? Main screen turn on. It's you. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. What you say? You have no chance to survive late your time. Ha ha ha. Oh my god.
That was for educational purpose. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay. <laughs> Natalie don't even know what to think. Like, huh? <laughs> oh man. That's what the internet was in 2001 for those for those of us that remember. <laughs> so bad. Anyway, now I'm bringing up our actual outro music because that cannot be it. <laughs> nope. Nope, not at all. <laughs> this. This you'll enjoy. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed the show tonight. <laughs> that was just right. <laughs> oh man, I've I've heard worse shit than that. Trisha, you remember Short Bus Shorty? Oh God, <laughs> I'm not bringing that up. Don't. Anyway, I hope you all uh, enjoyed the show tonight. Um, our social media. Uh, is a shown on screen at the moment. Uh, most of our stuff is for We Are Any Podcast. That covers TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Twitter, we're at For We Are Many Two. Um, and then obviously the Facebook page is just For We Are Many, uh, which, by the way, we won the Lefty Award over Left Signal Boost for Best New Facebook, Best New Leftist Facebook page 2021. So, Thank you for everybody who nominated or voted for us for that. Um, and I recommend checking out the show. Obviously, it's it's not for like real clout. It's just to expose other people to potentially new content. And um, a lot of good, good stuff was discussed. <coughs> also, if you have not, join our uh, education and discussion group on Facebook. It's just titled For We Are Many Education and Discussion Group. Um, we actually post in there a hell of a lot more than we post on the page. Right. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> um, I think one of the lefties, I, I think we want a lefty for the education group too, if I remember right. Uh, we were nominated for best. Nomin uh, okay. <clears throat> we were, we were the runner up actually for, um, uh, best. Facebook, best leftist Facebook group. There we go. I had to put the words in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I'm lot. Like leftist best book face group. No, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Just anyway, I'll shut up. Somehow. Um, <laughs> Like okay. I like I said earlier in the stream, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us financially, uh, patreon.com slash for we are many. Or if you go to our website, www.forwearemany.org, um, we have links to our Patreon and PayPal accounts there. Um, and on our, our website there for wearemany.org, you can make a user account to be able to comment and interact with us there too. Which, to be honest, like long term, we'd probably prefer that to be the norm because we 
surprisingly did not have any issues with Facebook tonight, but it's become all too common of a problem. Right. Also, we've had a steady Twitch viewer all night. I don't know who that is, but thank you, you lone, you lone wolf over there. We appreciate you. Every there's there's been a couple times where there was more than one, for that matter. But there has been at least one the whole night. That's what's up. Anyway, um, I hope you are all enjoying your probably cold December evening. Um, and that that's all I got. See you <laughs> Thursday. Stay warm. Shit, this isn't the right thing. That's the no, that's intro the theme. Oopsie. <laughs> Actually, I have a new acoustic thing. It's it's not finished, but if you want to hear a, uh, an acoustic work in process, I can play that. Coco? <laughs> I mean, I've heard it, but the folks listening, they haven't heard it yet. Go for it. Right. And Emily says, Rob, you're a mess. I am Emily, a mess. You would know, honey, he's your mess. <laughs> are you saying that she's the responsible one? Nope. Yeah. Nope. You are your own fucking responsibility. She just claimed you a few years ago or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or or whatever. I guess you don't have to claim him, Emily, but I mean. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. She's still laughing. Oh, shit. She's hiding off of camera. (laughs) Anyway, here's this nifty new acoustic thing. Have a good night.